healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. Okay, hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Andy Reeves from Optimid Specialty Pharmacy. Andy, welcome to the show. Michael, great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do on this show is challenge status quo purchasing methods and educate our audience on uh, alternative forms um, and methods and strategies to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. Sound like something you'd like to help with? Definitely. Right up our alley. All right. Great. So to get us started, Andy, I'm going to read just a brief bio about you so our audience has a little bit of context about who they're listening to, and then we'll jump into it. As Co-owner and CEO of Optimus Specialty Pharmacy Solutions, Andy Reeves is a clinical pharmacist who has devoted his career to providing exceptional patient-centered care. His value-based team approach focuses on building effective and efficient healthcare models that promote the pharmacist's role as part of the healthcare team to demonstrate how they can help positively impact treatment success and lower healthcare costs. The Michigan Pharmacists Association recently recognized his out-of-the-box approach by honoring Andy with the prestigious Excellence and Innovation Award. This award recognizes those industry innovators who are striving to provide exceptional outcome-based patient-centered care, deliver innovative practices that increase medication adherence and enhance disease management and re-energize the profession to meet the healthcare needs of tomorrow's patients. Andy received his undergraduate and graduate degrees from Ferris State University. Anything else you'd like to add, Andy? I think that sums it up. Uh, I'm not sure who wrote that, but uh, it makes me sound really good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sounds good. So, Andy, you are a clinical pharmacist by training. You know, what motivated you to really transition from being an employee to being an entrepreneur and launching your own specialty pharmacy? Well, after I graduated pharmacy school, I worked for a few months in a retail change before I realized that that was not the environment uh, that I wanted to participate in from healthcare. And then I went to a hospital setting, which I enjoyed that interaction and communication with physicians and creating care plans for patients. But an opportunity came up where I was able to be a part owner in a pharmacy that was in a teaching facility and a clinic base where we had that kind of the retail component, but also kind of the interaction with uh, physicians in that clinic based. And so that's kind of what kind of launched me into, I guess, the ownership uh, portion of of the career. And uh, it kind of was a frontline pharmacist for many years and saw where the marketplace was going with healthcare and really developed a lot of experience working with the physicians on the frontline delivery and also seeing it from the patient's perspective of how some of the outcomes and, and factors they were facing that could be improved upon and how healthcare is delivered. Let's start this interview at, at a macro level, then we'll get into the, the optimum product and service. As you know, we have a, a healthcare system that consumes more and more of our disposable income, which effectively leaves less money that could be better spent uh, elsewhere uh, in the economy. And prescription drugs, specifically specialty drugs, are, are really playing a larger role in the cost continuum. So tell us, in your opinion, you know, what do you think are the key issues with our current healthcare delivery and payment system today? 
I think the biggest issue is healthcare becomes more and more vertically integrated, which keeps driving the misaligned incentives and the reimbursement methodology that's used to reimburse for healthcare in general. But in this particular case, you know, talking about specialty pharmaceuticals, using outdated methodologies of AWP or average wholesale price to, to base your cost on is not the best factor going forward. And, and in, again, in this created in that health system, it's really misaligned incentives that are are driving a lot of the cost and waste within the industry. We agree with that. We oftentimes talk about misaligned incentives and and with many of our other guests, we've we've talked about the problems with with traditional provider reimbursement. If you had to just start from a clean slate, uh, what changes would you make as far as, you know, how we pay for healthcare? And if you want to kind of opine on, on prescription drugs, you know, that's fine too. I think we got to get away from the one-size-fits-all approach to healthcare. Patients have very individualized needs, and what they need versus the next patient is very different. And to try to capture that and reimburse on that model does not work well. And we got to get away from percent of build amount and charges from master charges and the methodology around that, just like I mentioned with average wholesale price. And get back to what does it cost to deliver the service? What's a reasonable profit in healthcare? And make sure that all sectors of the healthcare are reimbursed consistently and equally based on the needs of what that patient needs to get better health and better health outcomes. That's a good definition, especially, I mean, I think, you know, what you said, and I think you said it a number of times, you know, it's centered around the patient. It feels like in the current system, the patient is oftentimes the last thing that gets thought about when it comes to, you know, how the system works and, and, and you know, how reimbursement works. So I think you're onto something there with those points. Well, it probably leads into your next question is, is where some of the problems within healthcare are at and, and kind of how each sector of, of the sectors of healthcare are very siloed. And, you know, again, from the system perspective, trying to vertically integrate those, but there's not a lot of communication among the different parties that are working on that. And we see that in many different sectors, even if you look at from how medications are billed. You get the pharmacy channel where we're billing on the pharmacy benefit of the health plan. And then you also have the medical side where a lot of your other laboratories but 50% of specialty drugs occur on that medical side. And really looking at a, a comprehensive approach of looking at where those costs are on both factors and how to best communicate between those two different channels of billing to maximize savings and value on how those, those are delivered. And again, even on the, the methodology of pricing right now, those are both pricing matrices are different on those different channels. And so getting back to a, a simple factor of what's the value on those and how we can reimburse on both sides of that channel to really bring value to the system. Let's move on to Optimed. So, you know, you're not a pharmacy benefit manager or, or administrator, and we've had those other types of, of companies on the show. So explain to us what the Optimed, you know, really product and services and what problem you're attempting to solve in the marketplace, Andy. We go after a greater than, you know, just specialty pharmacy, but, you know, again, looking at the medical side and the pharmacy side. And really what we're looking to solve is to reduce the, the upfront cost um, on a short-term basis, but then also looking at how we can control long-term cost. You know, again, by increasing the communication among the channels and, again, what we like to say is harmonizing how healthcare is being delivered. Because if you look at, you know, vertical integration and what's happened in the marketplace, I, I kind of equate that to an analysis of, you know, if you look at a band or something when they're warming up, everybody's marching to their own tune, playing a different pace, a tempo, mm -hmm. different notes. 
And then a lot of times in a concert, you'll see them come together at once. And that's where I see kind of how healthcare where it kind of comes all together and now they're on beat. And, and that's where that communication happens. Because if you look at from the clinical side of, of delivery of healthcare, you have, you know, the diagnosis and diagnostic component, you have the actual therapy and treatment, but then you have monitoring. And a lot of times those are happening in different silos, different products, and there's not one way a system of bringing those together. People see a specialist, but then, you know, they also see a primary care and the communication between them is, is not um, adequate. And so how do we bring all those pieces together and really look at it uh, from a comprehensive approach to really make sure that the patient is, is in the center of that and really getting everything that they need to support their, their treatment journey to, again, get the best outcomes. Because if we're getting into driving outcomes, that's where value comes from and reducing costs. And that's the approach we take, and we look at, you know, a multifactored approach when doing that in the ways that we can bring either partnerships or solutions based to employers around what's driving their individual healthcare costs. Just to repeat, you know, you guys are trying to, I, I do like that analogy, you know, try to harmonize all the players and, and make sure that, you know, from diagnosis to therapy to monitoring that it's all working for the patient. Let's take a step back even from there, Andy, and talk about, you know, the primary that may be a byproduct, right, of what you guys are doing, but the primary service that you're involved in really is as a specialty pharmacy, correct? Yes, that is one of the major components of our business is really looking at, you know, how we can, re again, reduce those upfront costs and increase that. And, that, you know, that goes back from looking at whether it's a self-administered product, it's an infusion-based product, whether it's an oral tablet that a patient just would, would take versus something that needs to be injected, and making sure that Again, the communication and education and engagement of the patient that they're informed and really drives consumerism within that and get them involved in their healthcare. Because most of our audience is going to be, you know, brokers and consultants and employers, right? And so in generally, if they're thinking about a pharmacy, right, they're associating a pharmacy as a distribution source for their drugs, for their employees, but they're, they're generally working through either a PBM or an insurance carrier and, and they delegate the contracting for price to those intermediaries, as well as, you know, the, the utilization management interaction with physicians. So it might be a good start in explaining how a specialty pharmacy is different from maybe the local CVS or Rite Aid pharmacy. I would say, you know, especially pharmacy difference in that it's very patient centric and it's really focused on making sure that the patient gets adequate outcome and gets proper, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that and it's adherence, you know, is a, is a big one. It's also, you know, understanding that the results are getting, the patient's getting results from the, utilizing the medication. So it's very focused on and supporting that patient in that journey. You know, we can contract direct. There's nothing that says we have to work through a PPM. And so looking at that from that perspective, a direct contract sometimes, again, cuts out some of the middlemen. And it, we can, when you're working with the TPA, we can integrate those so it looks seamlessly as well. You know, in conversations with, with others, you know, we've been told that 50% of patients aren't adherent with their medication. So what are you guys doing from a consumer engagement or a service standpoint to kind of, you know, tackle that problem? We really try to look at, you know, you even look at the measures of adherence in the industry and what that means and how adherence differs from compliance. You know, mm -hmm. the industry measures for adherence are percent of days covered, 
which really tells you if the patient had medication available. It doesn't actually tell you if they've taken the medication or taken it appropriately. So we actually, when we're working with patients in that patient-centric approach, it's really look at what is true adherence. You know, we know when we send out somebody a medication, how many days supply that should last. And we go through multiple questions with the patient to, to understand how many doses, if they missed the dose, why they missed the dose, and really get track that true adherence and really try to come up with an individualized approach because adherence is a very complex issue. And I don't want to get too much into that because that could be a whole separate podcast on adherence. Sure. But it's really how do we individualize treatment to say to, you know, what works best for a patient, you know, the reasons why they're not adherent. And, you know, a great example we saw in our special pharmacy was just looking at psoriasis as a disease state. And we saw that there was a seasonality uh, change in adherence and, and through the summer months that patients were less adherent to their therapy. And so we dug deeper into that and actually created a, a program around it because we found that in, in Michigan here, the sunshine improves the skin condition for, with psoriasis, just the UV light. And so while their skin condition improved, there was still that underlying inflammation that was driving the disease process and also contributed to risk for um, cardiac disease or other things that are driven by uh, an inflammation process. So, you know, we, we instituted a program to educate patients around that, that there's, you know, while your skin condition may improve, there is that underlying inflammation that drives comorbid conditions and other health conditions that you want to make sure is controlled. And so bridge that gap and improve that. So we continually monitor adherence for our disease states and where patients are within that to make sure we're providing the support they need to get the value and the outcomes. Let's go back to how an employer and or their employees would actually engage with Optimid. Does your program sit outside of the the PBM or carrier or or does it actually integrate with us? Can you give us some examples? We can do it either way. We've had uh, programs where we've integrated with certain PBMs and it gets difficult because a lot of times when we do that, it exposes what you probably talked about on several of your other podcasts, some of the things that uh, other PBMs do not want disclosed in the industry about where their costs are and how they inflate to the cost. So we've done that with some that are more open and, and to our solution. And we've also done some direct where they've just kind of carved that benefit out of their PBM and just directed it through the TPA to us. And we've built directly to the TPA and integrated back into the cost from the employer perspective. So from a consumer standpoint, if I'm prescribed a specialty medication, right, I might take it to a local pharmacy. What you're saying is your program gives employees the option to leverage Optimate Specialty Pharmacy as an alternative. And that would be what, through like a mail order program? Exactly. And if you look at nearly all specialty programs, there's probably a few out there. I don't want to generalize too much, but almost all of them are required to use a, a either a network of specialty pharmacy or a PBM-owned specialty pharmacy. Yep. And so it wouldn't be much different than what they're currently used to. It's just what that pharmacy is and the level of service that the patient would get. In order for an employer to want to engage with you guys, there would have to be some mutual benefit, right, to the employer. So I would imagine that there would be some savings on purchasing the specialty drugs through Optimed versus the incumbent PBM. So can you give us an example of what would be the expected savings for the employer? 
We've done, you know, several, worked with several groups. And again, it is based on utilization, utilization both on that medical side and the pharmacy side, and really looking at the data that that group is from the utilization patterns where, where the utilization is and how we can reduce, again, that upfront cost, but then work with them on their programs so that we can guide therapies to the most appropriate cost-effective therapy at the time in that patient's journey. You know, to give you an example, we could go into on a specific medication. There's Remicade, which is used for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. There's examples where we saved an employer thirty, forty thousand dollars on a single administration of that drug. Um, if you look at something that, you know on the pharmacy benefit side, that where we've done a lot of savings is where we've saved patients, you know, five, six thousand dollars a year on, on a Humira prescription, which is used for a lot of different inflammatory yep. conditions. So essentially you guys are just an alternative distribution source that can sit outside of a traditional PBM or carrier. And you're going to be more cost effective because you're not taking the margins that the traditional carriers and PBMs are taking. Is that is that really what we're talking about here? Without getting too much into the PBM discussion, but there's spread pricing on PBMs. Yep. There's misaligned incentives from a PBM using their own specialty pharmacy inappropriately approving PAs because they're going to direct it into their specialty pharmacy. Mm-hmm. It kind of, you know, a direct contract with us kind of, I guess, resets or realigns those incentives so that we're incentive by lowering cost in providing good patient outcomes. And and when we have a direct contract, that's our, you know, commitment to that employer through our contractual relationship is to work with them to keep their, their costs the lowest that we can. And again, to leverage, if we go to an acquisition cost plus pricing model and our methodology, you know, as we get bigger and we leverage the marketplace and our pricing, our employer cost goes down as a group rather than sticking to the methodology of an average wholesale price where regardless of what our volume and marketplace buying power is, it's still based off of some average price that has nothing to do with what we actually pay for it. <laughs> right, right. Which for those people listening who kind of understand the AWP model, which, which really means even though you may have all the volume in the world and a great discount, if that AWP benchmark keeps going up, well, you just continue to pay more, right? Yeah, it's almost like your MSRP on a sticker price on a car. That's what AWP is for drugs. Your model is more of a, a flat fee and the employer benefits from any additional leverage you're able to apply on the pricing over time. Exactly. Any contracts we have with pharmaceutical manufacturers that reduces our acquisition costs, that benefits our, our groups that work with us because it's, it's all based on, a, again, like you said, that flat fee. When it comes to benefit design, let's just say that you've got an employer who's listening to this and they're like, okay, that makes sense. There's an alternative source for me to get specialty meds at lower costs. There's probably still a couple questions they're going to want to have answered. One of those questions is going to be rebates, which we've discussed at length with other guests here and, and how you know rebates are really problematic in a lot of ways. That continues to be the paradigm for a lot of employers. And so one of the things they might ask is, well, I'm getting rebates on some of these drugs. If we're re channeling our employees to go through your distribution source, are they going to sacrifice those rebates or are you guys going to be able to submit on their behalf for rebates as well? Yes. So from a benefit design perspective, we can follow their current formulary. And when we submit the billing and claims, they could submit for their own rebates or we could submit them for their behalf and, and pass those through back at 100% of what we receive on those rebate dollars. And I would say 
we like to use the term manufacturer gain because there's more fees and incentives paid within the rebate structure besides the rebate. There's admin fees, formula replacement fees, and a lot of other factors, which I'm sure you've gone into before, but making sure that gets back to the employer group at 100% because that's really what's driving their, you know, their savings and, and it's their utilization, so they should benefit from it. Now, let's talk about the, the benefit design. So, the way I understand it working with, you know, some of your team members is there's different ways to kind of include this in the benefit design. And one way is through a, an incentive copay structure. You want to talk a little bit about that? And I think, you know, that's the best way to do this because it creates the best win-win benefit design if, you know, patients, you can do this on a, on a mandated section or you can do it on, on a, an elective section where if employees elect to do it, they get incentivized to do it. It results in lower lower costs for the plan sponsor and lower costs for the patient, and it really creates a win-win situation. And, you know, we can look at from an adherence perspective, since we brought that up earlier, how cost and cost share to the patient side of, of the equation is one of the barriers to adherence. So a simple example would be, you know, if they're going to go through the traditional distribution source, which is the PBM and the specialty copay, let's just say it's $100. They can continue to do that. Or you can have a zero copay structure if they choose to go through the voluntary mail order program and OptiMed. Exactly. And that it could be easily set up. Now, I think you guys have also discussed how you know, you're, you're working with some TPAs to actually have it not sit outside of the benefit design, but kind of be built into the actual benefit structure. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you've done with other TPAs in, in that regard? Yeah, and I, I think what you're you're alluding to is kind of the proactive or reactive approach. And yes. this is more of the proactive approach. So reactive is when you go through your claims and identify those patients and try to redirect them. Proactive is where it gets incentivized right into the benefit or uh, and directed right at the point of, of care. And that's where we go back to that kind of that carve out perspective on the, the pharmacy channel. But with the TPA perspective, it's really managing that medical channel and making sure it's the right site of care for that patient and it's at the right cost perspective for the patient in the plan. And so that's right at when it's approved or pre authorized or pre certified from the TPA's perspective on the pharmacy channel would be when it's prior authorized, you know, that's when that would be directed to a mandated specialty pharmacy like Optimed. And that's where you can capture those savings. We've actually worked with several industry outside of TPAs, for instance, the reinsurance or stop loss carriers, where they've gotten involved because this is now blown into their territory and is driving their cost structure. And so we've, you know, have been able to, I guess, provide some advantages to plan sponsors by reducing that exposure to the stop loss and preventing some lasers and, and premium hikes on the stop loss side by implementing our solution. Can you talk about the example of infusion drugs? Because I thought in my, my conversation with one of your colleagues that that was a really powerful example. Recently, it was the worst one we just saw. And I, I will say every time I hear one of these, I think, you know, this has got to be the worst one ever. But then later in the year, or a couple of weeks later, I'll have another one. We had a, a patient that was in, working with their TPA, and it was on a reactive basis. And they had a, a claimant hit in a, a southern state where the patient received two IG infusions and a, a rituxan for an immune reaction uh, therapy. And this was all done in a health plan or health uh, system setting. And the build charges on that claim was around 800000 And with the network medical discounts, um, they were able to get it down to around 468000 
So this came to us from the stop loss because they were worried this was going to continue. And they're like, hey, can you guys do anything on this? And we looked at it and we said, well, if we would have been proactive on this one, it would have cost about $63,000. So wow. it was almost $400,000 worth of waste on one patient in one event in one month. And so, again, that TPA is like, how do we get this for this employer proactive? And, and we just recently worked to institute on a, on a proactive basis and pre-certification for any, any drug codes over a certain dollar value that we would evaluate with them to see if there's any opportunities before they was authorized. So the actual, the, the allowed amount after the network discount was well over $400,000. And so had that same infusion been through Optimid specialty pharmacy or anyone you're contracting with, and it would have been 63,000. Exactly. That's incredible. I mean, how pervasive is this type of price variation? I mean, that's, that's hundreds of percent differentials there. Are you seeing that in isolation or are you seeing quite a bit of that within that infusion drug example? We're seeing it more and more. And again, there's certain pockets of the country that are worse than others. But, you know, even in our in our geographic area of Michigan, we see it often as well. And I will say that and I don't know what, what the driving force behind that is, but it comes back to the value of what, what we're doing. And again, how do we improve that for the patient and the patient experience? And not just looking at the cost, but it just continues to happen. And we keep thinking it's it's maybe isolated cases, but the more and more stop-loss carriers that we work with, the more widespread we're seeing this. And it's to me, it's it's a most egregious charges and should be illegal, but it's how the system is set up and what we talked about is what's wrong with the healthcare system and that, that vertical integration is driving that misaligned incentives. So to answer your question directly, yes, it, it's more widespread than we probably actually even know at this point. Just the more we work with it, the more widespread we're seeing this. What you mentioned earlier is that, you know, you guys are focused on outcomes. Do you want to give us any additional information on what you guys are, are doing differently in the marketplace or what you think you're doing that's unique to really drive better outcomes? Any examples of how you're engaging with you know, patient and provider? If you look at, we like to call it our optimized 360 approach is really looking at the patient holistically and all the different ways that we can support them. You know, in the drug industry and, and through pharmacy school, we talk a lot about synergy and how drug A plus drug B equals more than, than two drugs and the outcomes that it brings. And we, we feel that way too within the therapy. You know, we give a drug to a patient or help them, you know, guide to it, that's going to provide some benefit. But if they do some lifestyle change, is, is their diet, is there other things that they can do that could complement that, that drug's action and the ability to improve their disease. And again, looking at from an individual patient, you know, is adherence a driver in that? And again, looking at the outcomes, measuring the outcomes from patient reported outcomes that are validated to clinical activity and measuring that and saying after a certain period of time, and a great example is like, again, Humira, something I think most brokers and, and everyone's aware of is, you know, usually at 12 weeks, patients should have improvement in symptoms for whatever condition they're, they're treating. But if we see that based on our, our patient reported outcomes that it's not at 12 weeks, you know, we're communicating to the physician because a lot of times physicians will start patients on drugs, give them six months of refill and say, call me if you need me. Well, right. the patient, you know, 
<laughs> doesn't always check back when they need to. So being that, that, that I guess, that liaison between the patient and, and the, the healthcare provider and being an extension of that, that provider to help patient manage through side effects so they don't just continue the drug and say, uh, and just give up and cause worsening of symptoms or more healthcare costs. Managing through that, and I got a great example if you'd like um, to go into, but I don't want to, you had a, another question there. I wanted to, to highlight that. Oftentimes, physicians prescribing the medication and like you said, check back in six months. But isn't it true? And we've had another guest comment on this that, you know, Humira in clinical studies was only proven to be effective in maybe one out of every three individuals. So given the price tag, you know, I think you identified a problem. Like we're spending $40,000 a year potentially on, on a treatment that may not work for everybody. In most cases, you can confirm if this is true or not. Is the physician really checking back in to see if the drug is, is working? That's a huge variability at marketplace at physicians across the country. Some are really great at it. Some are really poor at it. And it's everywhere in between. And I think that's one thing that we bring to the table is making that consistent by bringing in a third party that helps with that communication pattern. And the example I was referring to is we, we had a cystic fibrosis patient who was a uh, in and out of the hospital over six months, they had home health care, they were on multiple infusion therapies, and just kept ending up in the hospital. And it came to us from a stop-loss care because they, they were well beyond a million dollars for that year in spending. And they were taking one of the specialty meds for cystic fibrosis called their Cambi. And so we got all the they had case managers involved. And so we got all the, all the clinical notes and we started reviewing this and looking at it. And it turns out the actual with our Cambi medication, it does improve uh, the symptoms of CF, but there's a transient four weeks where patients actually get a worsening of symptoms. And what was happening with this patient was they'd get that worsening of symptoms and they'd go to the hospital, they'd admit them in the hospital, discontinue all home meds, get them on antibiotics, get the patient better, and then discharge them and restart the meds they were on prior to home. And then yeah. four weeks later, the patient was back in the hospital. It happened five times. And here's the medication you're paying twenty-some thousand dollars a month for, that was actually causing all the hospitalizations and didn't have that continuity of care. And someone really communicating with the patient and supporting them, and that that was driving up healthcare costs rather than reducing it. And that's all just communication. Hundreds of thousands of dollars wasted because the patient wasn't aware of the side effects that that were going to be happening. And again, the pulmonologist that prescribed or can be may or may not have been involved in the hospitalization. And, and so, again, it's that siloed uh, delivery of health care that contributes somewhat to this. And I see that, you know, from our perspective, you know, especially pharmacy being very patient centric, really helps bring those the continuum together um, across all those different channels. Again, looking at, you know, the clinical programs that look at whether the diagnostic test that guides what therapy is going to be best for a patient was utilized. You know, there's there's some preliminary data out right now that's coming on like Humira, like you mentioned, it only a third of the patients that it works for. And trial and error medicine is probably not the best way to do that because adverse effects contribute to a lot of costs too. So you're trying something that might patient may not benefit for, may actually cause harm or hospitalization. And so you know, if you can do a test and look at the biomarkers a patient has and say, for example, with Humira, not to get too much clinical, but it's a TNF drug. And if a patient doesn't have an, a high level or elevated TNF factor, then that's probably not going to work for them. And, and, and being able to look at that and really from a clinical perspective, guide those therapies that are going to work best for a patient. I'm a consumer. I have the benefit incentive with my organization and I, I do the voluntary mail order through Optimed. What happens from there? How are you guys engaging with the patient? 
Well, first, uh, I want to mention too, you know, from our, our, I guess, core value of experience, we know in, in the clinical studies, you look at it, patients who have a better experience have better outcomes. And our whole, one of our whole driving factors, you know, around value is reduce costs, increase outcomes. That's the equation. And so one way we can do that is by driving the patient experience. Again, communication, using communication tools to better communicate with patients, setting up expectations around what's expected and the communication back and forth, what we need on the infusion side, making sure they have the same care provider, the nurse that goes out to their home to, to administer a medication. So they have that relationship and communication with that, really providing that concierge level of service and really uh, that care team approach to the patient that really looks at the needs of the patient and how we can best support them and really drive and produce the best outcomes for them because that's what they need and that's what we're we're paying all these huge dollars within specialty products for is to get those outcomes. Do you guys track any consumer satisfaction statistics or, you know, do any um, MPI, for example, anything like that? We have so many different key performance metrics. Our quality management committee monitors on an ongoing basis, looking at, you know, even from even the phone experience, hold time, abandoned calls, our adherence rates. We even get into, you know, if a patient's experienced un- unplanned healthcare utilization. One of the PBMs we work with is releasing a, a white paper next week about what we call our hero score. It's a health economic results and outcome score that we've actually used analytics to come up with to help employer groups understand the value of the specialty products that they're paying for, what they're getting, because there's so many factors that go into outcomes, both positive and negative. If you're taking a specialty product and it's driving adverse reactions, that's making someone go to the doctor in the ER, your value really goes down. And again, as the cost of that product goes up and that's what it's creating, that's an adverse effect on outcomes and value. And so we really want to drive that. And so looking at that, looking at, again, patient reported outcomes, how they're doing, adverse reactions, hospitalization, healthcare utilization, their ability to be at work, so absenteeism, and their effectiveness while they're at work. You know, is their disease state improved? their effectiveness while they're at work and what's called presenteeism is really affected by that. And if you look at some of the studies around presenteeism, that's a way more of a factor related to cost for employers than are the direct medical costs combined. I think that's great insight into the employee experience there. So, you know, you guys have been at this for a while. Who are your primary customers? sounds like you're working with stop loss carriers and and with TPAs. What percentage of your your book of business do you think is divided between employers, TPAs, and and stop loss carriers? It's difficult to say because I feel like it's it's the ecosystem there. Um, They work together. A lot of times they may start with a stop loss carrier and it gets introduced to the broker, then it pulls in the TPA. Um, There's Mm -hmm. entry points where we we have a relationship with the TPA that leads to a relationship with a new stop loss carrier and a new broker. And then just the same thing on on the broker side. those those teams work so much in tandem together that it often may start in one channel and pretty soon we're working with their partners as well. And we've had referrals from all different sources in that, you know, from stop loss carriers introducing us to TPAs, TPAs introducing the brokers that work with other TPAs. So it's hard to say, you know, who our direct customer is in that because we work so much with each one of them in different aspects of, of, of how that's designed and working with the employer. One of your team members had also indicated that, you know, you guys have a relationship with, with another vendor that you can leverage to import certain, you know, specialty medications. So do you want to tell us about a little bit about this option and, and what types of savings you're, you're seeing there? Yes. 
And, you know, again, importation's not for everyone, but if we look at the political climate and in the marketplace today, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I think there's an appetite to really look at that because I guess this is the old age old saying, you know, drastic times calls for drastic measures, but it, it may not, it's not really all that drastic. So if you look at importation and, and kind of where I guess the FDA and the government stands on it is that, you know, for personal use, patients, you know, are allowed to bring, bring products into the U.S. for the, the, their personal use. And so mm-hmm. we help them coordinate that and, and coordinate it within the benefit that they can administer it through their employee benefits so that um, patients are not paying out of pocket for it. And we basically created a system with this partnership so that it works just like it, the normal system delivery is right now so that it isn't a disruption or a, a new learning path for patients to experience and take advantage of it. And so kind of the same way, they would working with a TPA or broker and they want to work with it, uh, patients would be able to put the messaging in under PBM or however we, we work with them to do that. But patients would come in and we would help secure what the information that's needed for that, get that to the outsourced pharmacy so that, that they could ship that directly to the patient here in the U.S. Got it. And Got again, it. making sure from a quality standpoint, too, it's only working with countries that have the same uh, tier one system that from a, a distribution chain within that country is similar to the U.S. so that we're not introducing counterfeit products and making sure the integrity of the products are there. And there's a, a recall system and communication between that country and us um, so that if a product's recalled for uh, quality reasons from the manufacturer, we can get that to the patient if it's, if it's something that's going to cause an adverse reaction. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, Canada and I think Australia are, are, are some of those tier one options. Just to confirm, I mean, in some of the, the due diligence we've done, I and mean, we've seen upwards of 50% savings, you know, relative to, to U.S. prices. And is that consistent with what you're seeing? Yeah, we see 40 to 60%. And obviously on the specialty, that gets way up there. And we've seen as high as 70 on some specialty medications. What are you most excited right about right now in your business? Are there any improvements or enhancements that you guys are working on that you want to share with the audience? We're always continue looking at partnerships and what we can do. Um, and, and somebody always asks me, like, you know, how do you sum up your business? And I, I like to say we're a solution-based business. We look at what are the issues facing a lot of uh, groups in, in our customer base and how can we create solutions and work with either somebody that has a solution available but make it seamless and, and effectively, or, you know, how do we create a solution that, that solves that problem? And that's really what we take pride in is coming up with creative solutions to solve some of the complex problems that we have in, in the healthcare system today. Examples of those is just developing, you know, programs that support things like diabetes, oncology, you know, opioid addiction, and some of these other programs that are, are cost drivers for employer groups. And, you know, again, we're always looking at the data. We're seeing what different employers have for issues that are driving their costs within their, their, their benefit plan. And so really looking at from, again, the age of the patients and, and what risk they have in their benefits and how we help mitigate those risk through different educational programs, patient support programs, and disease management programs that bring value and decrease the upfront costs and drive that long-term value. You also own a PBM called Ascend, I believe, which which was not the topic of this podcast, but do you want to share with our audience, you know, why you decided to launch that PBM in 2017? 
I, I think I alluded to it to earlier. A lot of times when we had employer groups that wanted to do this, you know, they were stuck with a PBM. And then when we went to work with them, it, it, like I said, it exposed some of the, I guess, the misaligned incentives that were there. And so we felt the need that uh, the marketplace was right to really bring a PBM that was aligned with our core values from incentives of really looking at how we can drive consumerism and increase patient outcomes and really bring value to healthcare. I hate to use the hackneyed term of transparency, but really be open book to our groups and say, you're getting a service from a PBM and often you don't know what you're paying for that service. And so how do you judge value? And so we're very open about a very flat fee and that's our fee and that's what we charge. And that's the only markup we have into this. You judge the value we bring. Others, when you start to want to do different solutions, they want to charge you an additional fee to, to carve that out because there's so much profit in there for them. They're going to charge you a fee not to use their PDF or their, or their component. Gosh, if there was one question, Andy, that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it have been? I think the one takeaway is that, you know, employers are becoming more and more savvy in identifying and looking at their health care as a, a risk mitigation strategy and really looking beyond just one year of cost containment. And as they do that and the marketplace evolved to that, we're getting more and more interest in, in our products and our services that we do. And I think it's aligned with that. And it all it all starts with the simple looking at the data, understanding what their problems are, and just offering what the solutions are and the savings opportunities that are available in this current environment. And we see lots of opportunities. Well, I, I agree. I think uh, more and more, I think for the proactive employer out there who who wants to uh, take the bull by the horns, uh, there's lots of opportunity to you know implement you know cost saving measures, and pharmacy is is certain an area where there's lots of opportunity. So Andy, how can people interested in, in learning more about Optimed specialty pharmacy or, or your, your Ascend PBM, where can they go to learn more? Obviously, our websites, they can get a hold of one of our, our sales uh, executives and really look at a, a no risk um, and share their data with us and just take a look at it. Um, we like to say the only cost is, is the time. And it usually they have the data. You have the data. Brokers have the data. Uh, it doesn't take long to do it. And uh, y- you can see where opportunities exist for your clients or if you're an employer, where, you, where your opportunities lie. Hey, on behalf of our listeners and myself, Andy, I really want to thank you for taking time out of your your schedule to join us. Uh, I think it's been a a, a great, insightful interview. Well, I really appreciate you having me, Michael. It's been uh, great speaking with you and uh, great working with you and your team. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Optimed's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content we're bringing to you on the show. Let us know what you would think with a review or drop us a note. Let us know if there's someone you think would be a good guest on the show. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.